Good. All right. So to make sure you guys are awake, um, some Sunday school trivia. There's no right answer here. I'm just looking for answers. Um, this morning's message, I'm not giving you the title yet, um, but it's going to have to do with fire, the word fire. So think of a story in the Bible or a scripture and give me something that comes to your mind from Sunday school about fire. Anyone have any examples, things that come to your mind from the Bible? Fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I heard that one. Burning bush. Moses and burning bush. Mount Sinai and the burning bush? No. Oh, Elijah and Mount Carmel. Yeah, and the fire comes down on the sacrifice. Yes. Yes, a pillar of fire by, uh, by uh, night and a cloud, pillar of cloud by day. That's good. Any other thoughts that you guys itching to get in? Tongues of fire, Pentecost. Yes. Good, good. All right. So these are all good. But today I want to talk to you about a verse of the Bible that says, Our God is a consuming fire. And that is the title of this morning's message. If you're taking notes, um, that's the title of this morning's message. If you're not taking notes, there's a notepad in front of you and there's a pen available for you just if you want to take notes. Uh, just letting you know. Um, or you have your app, I know, your phone, you can do it that way too. But there's some things here that I've heard this before, but I want to look at this a little deeper. Our God is a consuming fire. What does that mean? This morning's message is not going to be an exhaustive teaching on what all of that means. Um, I don't have time for all of that, but I am going to reveal a few things. I'm going to connect it, actually, to a dream that I had just a few nights ago. Wednesday night, we had Wednesday night service here, and I went to bed that night, and I woke up Thursday morning. I had a dream. Do you, I, not Martin Luther King Jr. I had a dream. Um, but like many other people in the Bible... I had a dream that I believed was inspired by God. I don't know what you think about that, but I think that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he speaks in dreams. You see it, the very last book of your Bible was a vision, right? There's all kinds of things where God speaks, and I believe he's still speaking today in the same way to us. And so there's times where I know that was a dream, and it was just my own pizza dream, right? My own just natural dream. It had nothing to do with God wasn't speaking. And then there's times where I wake up in the morning like, that was God. He was speaking to me about something. And so I'm going to share with you um, kind of my points for this morning actually connect to this dream I had. And so I'm going to give you just a little bit of the beginning of the dream, and then I'll share with you my points. I'll share with you more of my dream. But the dream was I was driving in my car, and I was going down a road, and I saw a house on fire. And so I quickly pulled over, and I ran to the house, and as I got to the house, I observed three main things. There was lots of details that I could go over and I could extrapolate and figure out how all God was speaking in lots of different ways. But three main things that I want to look at, and I will explain those in just a second. When I got into the house, I saw three things, and those will be my three points. But before I do, um, I want to read to you some verses that says about our God is a consuming fire. And to remind you that as we sing worship this morning, I love it, our God is good. All the time, he is good. His mercies are new every morning. He's faithful. He's gentle. He's kind. It's his kindness that leads us towards repentance, right? Um, I grew up in this church, like I said, and that let the little children come to me, that he's this warm and cuddly God. He is. That's all true. But God's word also says he's a consuming fire. And I want to read to you tons of references I could pull from, but here are just three that talk about a description of someone who actually saw Jesus, not just 30, 33 years here as an earthly human, right? But he's still man. He's the son of man now in heaven in all of his glory. And there's people in the Old Testament that saw him in all of his glory, people in the New Testament that saw him in all of his glory. And I just want to point out three of these. So first one is, uh, what do I have first? Is it Ezekiel? Ezekiel 8.2. It says this, Ezekiel, the prophet, he saw this. I looked and I saw a figure like that of a man, but not just a normal man. From what appeared to be his waist down, he was like fire. 
And from there up, his appearance was as bright as glowing metal. I don't know about you, my kids love watching Marvel movies and superheroes and all those things, but this sounds like a superhero. Like, what's a, is there a Inferno or a Flaming Man or a Torch Man? Or I don't know, I don't know all the guys there are. Human Torch. Human Torch. See, I don't even know. But there's things here where this does not look like a normal description of somebody. But this is what Ezekiel saw. You read Isaiah, Isaiah describes a lot of the same things. That when he saw Jesus, he looked like a man except he was on fire. And he was blazing, right? This idea. One that we may be more, more familiar with, New Testament. John the Apostle in Revelation chapter 1 when he saw Jesus. This is what it says. I, it says some same things about Jesus having fire. I saw someone like a son of man. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as glistening snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were gleaming like bright metal, as though they were glowing in a fire. And his voice was like the roar of many rushing waters. And his face was shining like the brightness of the blinding sun. So again, more references. Our God, even Jesus, is this consuming fire. Finally, third one, Daniel, going back to the Old Testament. Daniel, see a correlation between what John saw, what Daniel saw. So Daniel says this. I watched till thrones were put in place. He was having this vision of all kinds of things. And then the Ancient of Days was seated. Jesus came and sat on his throne. His garment was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool, just like John in Revelation, thousands of years later. His throne was a fiery flame. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. So Daniel's saying not only was he a fire, but the throne he actually sat on was a throne of fire. And what came out from before him was a river or a stream of fire came out of him, in front of him. This is an incredible description I think sometimes we don't wrap our minds around or we kind of forget that our God is this consuming fire. He is this awesome God. And that this is when people see a vision of Jesus, this is who they see. That he's not just, he is a God of kindness and gentleness. But he's also a God who's a consuming fire. And I love that, that as Daniel said, that a fire goes before him. If you were here as we opened up worship, right? Psalm 97 says that. A fire goes before him and burns up all his enemies. The hills melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. There's something about who Jesus is that is this, I don't know, I think about fire. I guess that's what I'm thinking. When I look at a campfire, sometimes I get mesmerized. As you see the flames, right? There's something about fire that you can't track it, right? You can't, it, it comes up in different ways. It's, it's intriguing. It's like, wow, what is this? And there's something about Jesus that is powerful, that's intriguing, that's intense. And I love this, that some people, I was reading tons of commentary on this. A lot of people, they're right. It says his eyes were like fire. They weren't fire themselves, but they were like fire, the attributes of fire. But then there's scriptures that I'll get to this more that says that he is a fire. He is a consuming fire. That's who he is. So he's like fire, but he is fire. We don't worship fire in itself, but God himself is this fiery flame. And what does that mean to us? And I was thinking about this. I was even thinking about how um, John the Baptist, when he was describing Jesus, even as an earthly Jesus, right? His cousin, he knew who Jesus was. He says, I baptize you with this water in the Jordan River, but there's one who's greater than me who's coming who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's this idea that Jesus is meant to bring fire into our lives. Now, what does that mean? What is it in reference to? So I'll connect it 
first one, to my dream. So in this dream, I go to this house that's burning, right? I go, there's flames all over this house, and I run to the house, and I go inside, and I see that the flames are actually the fires in the attic of the house. And up in the attic, I'm like, wow, what's, what's burning? What's going on up there? And I go up to the attic, and I see that there's trash bags in the attic. Why is there, tr- I mean, you don't put trash in your attic. You put trash in the garbage. Like you take, when you have trash, you take it out of your house. Trash doesn't belong in your attic. But yet in this dream, this person that owned this house, they had trash in their attic, and it was burning. It was being consumed by fire. To me, the correlation can be very easy. Maybe there's more things that God is trying to say in that. But there's things that his fire comes to burn away things that don't belong. He comes to purify. That's my first point. Purify. God is a consuming fire that comes to purify our lives. We sing songs about a refiner's fire. It's all throughout scripture, right? This analogy of the silversmith, right? That he, he heats up silver and then the dross comes to the surface and scrapes away the dross to refine us, to make us pure, to make us holy. And I'm thinking about Jesus, that he is this consuming fire. I can say, yes, Jesus came to consume all of my sins on the cross. He died for all my sins, and I am. I believe it. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who I am. When the enemy comes to accuse me, no. I'm no longer a a slave to sin. I've been set free, right? That's the truth. But some of us need to hear the truth that Jesus still comes to baptize you in fire. He wants to sanctify you, a big word, right? You are justified. You are healed. You are delivered. You are set free. You are holy. You are righteous already, yes, but then there's still part of Jesus that is sanctifying. His fire is a consuming fire. There's still things in our lives that are not pleasing and acceptable to him. And so he comes as a fire to refine those things, to remove those things that don't belong. So we read Hebrews 12, 29. That's our theme, right? Our God is a consuming fire. Let me read to you from the Message Bible. How it's translated. Our God is a consuming fire. It says this. For our God is not an indifferent bystander. He's actively cleaning house, torching all that needs to burn. And he won't quit until it's all cleansed. God himself is fire. He comes to our house. He comes to the temple of the living God. That's who we are. He comes to consume, to burn up things that don't belong. This might not sound like a nice, warm, cuddly message this morning to encourage you and build you up and make you happy, but I promise you that is the heart of the message, and that's where we're going. But we need to hear the truth that God is a consuming fire, and part of him being a consuming fire is there might be things in your life that are not pleasing to him. And he wants to reveal and expose those things to us. As David says, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way. I was thinking about this dream I had. It was actually a lady in her house. And she had no idea what was going on. Oh, my goodness. I have a fire in my attic. Oh, my goodness. There's trash up there. And as I exposed the trash, it was amazing. Uh, I, I was, things were on fire in my dream. I was like, we've got to deal with this stuff, right? And so bags of trash, I was like trying to get, throw them out of the attic. And as I did, they hit the ground and they like exploded and it was, there was rats and mice, and just it was disgusting. There was stuff that just started running rampant in the house. And I was like, wow. And I remember in my dream saying, I would not want to live in this house. I remember saying that in my dream, those very words. 
I would not want to live in this house, right? There's mice running around, the cockroaches. It was just disgusting, like gross. But from the outside, the house looked like a normal, I mean, it was on fire, but other than the fire, it looked like a normal, nice house, right? Two-story, picket white fence. It was a beautiful home. But as I got inside and the fire was revealing things that maybe before that stuff in the attic, it was like tucked away up in the attic. The rest of the house, actually, when I got in there, the lady was cleaning. It was like a nice, well-kept house. But as the things that were up in the attic were exposed, oh, the whole house became disgusting. And I feel like there's things there that the Lord might be saying to me and to us as a church and to us individually. Are there things that we have stored in the attic that don't belong? Are there things where sometimes I say, well, that's just my personality. That's just how I was born. And I excuse behavior that is not pleasing and acceptable to God. And I just put it away and say, oh, well, that's just, I I was just born that way. I want to say this because I think there's some of us, this is not just for a message for those of us that have these horrible, horrible sins that nobody else knows in the room, and I'm just trying to expose you this morning. No, I'm saying this is for everybody, that sometimes we are unaware of there's things that are going on in our lives that Jesus wants to come to reveal things that we think our life is going fine. Everything's great. We're cleaning up the rest of our house and it looks good. And Jesus is like, no, there's things in the attic that need to be dealt with. And as I was processing it with this, other leaders here in the church, thinking about attic, That can be our mind, right? The attic of the temple of God. The things, our thought life. That there's things that are going on in our thoughts that are not pleasing and acceptable to God. Jesus said, man, even if you look on a woman with lustful intentions, you've already committed adultery. So it's not just the physical act of doing things. There's things that go on in our mind that the Lord is saying, we've got to deal with these things in the attic. These thoughts that you think towards your brother and sister in Christ. I don't know, I say this a lot, political keeps coming up. I don't even watch the news anymore, but, but even politically, things that you think towards people that are in government over you. You can disagree, as we talked about last Sunday, right? You can disagree and still learn to love somebody. What is your thought life? Is it in control? Do you have control of your attic, the things that are going on in there? Maybe it's a pattern. I was thinking about even worship this morning. I'm just being real and being transparent before you. Do we need to change things up? There was someone who was up front that was having an encounter with the Lord's presence. And I was wrestling, okay, God, do we just keep going with church? Do we need to take a break and we all figure out what we need to do here? I don't want to be stuck in an old way of thinking, right? Because in the attic, that's where we tend to store things like our old, like for me, I have in my attic, it's my garage attic. I don't want to have an attic in my real house, but in my garage up in the attic, I have trophies of when I played football in high school. I have I don't know, all kinds of accolades and things that happened in my life in the past, I store them up in the attic, right? Things of old that might have been good in that season of my life, but I don't need to keep going to those things, right? And I feel like the Lord is just trying to expose whatever it is. Ah, I thank God that I don't have to figure it all out. That even right now, as I'm giving this message, the Holy Spirit can tailor this to each of your lives. That he's wanting to bring purity. He's wanting to refine things. And it's because he's mean and brash and wants to expose you and make you look like a fool. No, because he's a consuming fire. It's who he is. He can't help but consume. Anything that's not pure and holy, it's in his nature to consume it. So as I read from that message, Hebrews 12, 29, he wants to clean house. This idea 
that I read to you that I shared with you that Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Many of us, I know I grew up in the Pentecostal church, so I always assumed Holy Spirit and fire, kind of the same thing. That just means, like, you know, we said it. On the day of Pentecost, there were tongues of fire on, on the people, on the 120 that were praying. And the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, the fire came. So Jesus was baptizing the church in the Holy Spirit and fire. And that's what the fire means, right? And as I was reading, there's some people that read this, and they interpret it meaning, no, Jesus, he came to baptize the church into the Holy Spirit, and eventually Jesus will baptize the world into fire, when the day of judgment comes, that he will sit on a great throne and he's going to judge, right? And he's going to do all these things. And so it's going to be a future date that Jesus is going to baptize us with fire. Where do they get that? It's actually the next few verses. Luke 3.16 says he will baptize you in the spirit of holiness and into, oh, we'll read it. Luke 3.16 and 17 says Jesus will baptize you into the spirit of holiness and into his raging fire. He has in his hands a winnowing fork to clean up his threshing floor. He will separate the wheat from the chaff. The wheat he will gather into his barn, but he will burn the chaff in a fire that no one can ever put out. So yes, this is in reference to a big word, eschatological. Have you ever heard that word? Big word just means end times. Eschatology, the the study of end times. This is an eschatological statement that Jesus is going to separate the wheat from the chaff. There's things in my life that I have done on earth that have no eternal value. There's things in my life, hopefully, that I've done that have eternal value. And God is going to separate those. He's going to judge not just those that are Christians and those that aren't Christians. He's going to judge all of us. It says he's going to baptize you in fire. So I believe that, yes, this is a future statement. And I believe that he did baptize us with fire 2,000 years, uh, baptize us into the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago, the day of Pentecost. But do you and I agree that today you and I can still be baptized into the Holy Spirit? The gifts of the Holy Spirit that came with that baptism are still alive today. Amen? Amen. Amen. They're alive in this church. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I'm going to say that the fire, the baptism of fire, is still alive today and belongs in this church. And it means it's not just what I said, my background of Pentecostal, just of all the gifts and all the goodness of the Holy Spirit in my life. It actually means fire means some judgment, means some purification, means a purity process. And some of us, we don't like that process. Who in their right mind, in their natural mind, wants that? But this is what Jesus came to do. He's a consuming fire. If he is the king of your heart, as we just sang, then he wants to baptize you in fire. And this, I, I feel like, you know, Jonathan Edwards, right? I'm preaching hellfire and brimstone. That's not really all of who God's called me. That's not my flavor of being a pastor, But I know this is the war of the Lord for today, for us. And I can't help but know that this is for someone specific in here, if not for all of us. The Lord is trying to put his finger on something. Maybe he's spoken before, maybe things have been revealed before, but today he's saying, I want to consume it. I'm done with just talking about it or somewhat you're aware of it. I actually want to burn it up. I want to remove that thing that doesn't belong in your life today. I was thinking about how this idea of repentance, we don't like that, but Jesus brought a message of of repentance on the heels of John, the baptizer. He kept saying, repent. And then it says that Jesus' message was the same. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as you look up in in scriptures, 
repentance is a huge deal. Not just a one-time repentance. I, I asked Jesus into my heart when I was five years old, and I believe my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and from every, I had to seal the Holy Spirit, and I've never lost my salvation since I was five years old. I believe that. But it doesn't mean that I still have to walk out forms of repentance in my life. And I was looking at repentance in the Bible, and we're coming up on September 6th, I think it is, is um, the Jewish calendar is different than our calendar, if you didn't know that. And September 6th is going to be the new year. They're starting a new year, and all of us would like to start a new year. Let's get over with COVID. Let's start with all this stuff, right? School year is about to start. And in the Jewish calendar, September 6th is going to be Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. And then 10 days later is Yom Kippur. Do you guys remember what Yom Kippur is? What happens on that day? Day of Atonement. It's the highest of holidays. It's that one day in the Old Testament where one man, the high priest, could go into the Holy of Holies for one day. Praise God, that veil was torn, and we have access to the presence of God every day of our lives. But in between those 10 days, the New Year and the Day of Atonement, it's 10 days. They call it 10 days of repentance. I don't think it's coincidence that the Holy Spirit is bringing that to Osmeber Church, that just a few weeks away, we should be in a season and a recognition that we should be in an attitude and a posture of repentance. What does that look like? We've prayed over our nation. We've said this probably a hundred times here since I've been the pastor, right? If my people who are called by my name, right, will humble themselves, right, and turn from their wicked ways, there's this idea of repentance is so linked to the things that God wants to do. So the idea is that God is a consuming fire to bring repentance. Why? Just because he wants us to feel bad? Because he wants to expose all of our junk? No. Because he wants to do a mighty new thing. Because he wants to bring revival. Because he wants to breathe upon us a fresh breath. But it only comes in the context of repentance. Of a fire coming to our house. That lady didn't want fire burning in her house. But she had trash that needed to be burned up. I was thinking about this. I didn't read from Isaiah who saw the Lord high and lifted up. But I know when I was a kid in high school, I remember reading that maybe for the first time on my own. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? In Isaiah where it says, in the day King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. You guys know that story? And then, right, the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. But it says as he went there and he saw and had a vision of God, it says that he became undone. And then the angels had to take coal and cleanse his lips because he said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips living amongst unclean people. And I remember in high school when I read that, I was thinking the Holy Spirit revealed to me, do you realize Isaiah at that time was probably the most holy man alive? He was the man who was appointed by God. The Spirit of God was on him, that he was the one, the mouthpiece of God to the whole people of God. He was the one that had the least amount of sin in his life. But yet when he was in the presence of this consuming fire, he was saying, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm unclean. And God was speaking to me, this grew up in a church, grew up in a godly home, went to Christian school, the goody, goody two-shoes, right? Uh, I'm sharing that with you because if you didn't know, if you don't know me as a kid, like growing up here, every time there was plays, I never got to be the bad guy. 
Like, I never got to be Judas. I never got to be, like, we had uh, his company plays. We'd go into jails, and they would uh, always have, like, a gang member that would beat up somebody. Like, the good, I was always the goody two-shoes that got beat up because I could not just carry the presence of a bad kid. Like, I just, I was the goody two-shoes. And yet the Lord was saying, Ryan, I don't care how good you look. You're a man of unclean lips. When you stand before a consuming fire, your righteousness is like filthy rags. And again, I'm not saying this to make us all feel heavy and condemned. I'm saying this because the Lord wants to do an incredible thing in our midst. But we have to allow him access to our attic. Is he really the king of my heart? There's this quote, and I forgot to, it's another pastor, and forgive me, I'm not giving credit to it, and I forgot to write down who it was, but I have a quote, and I don't know if I have it lifted there, but it, it talks about hypocrites and half-hearted. When I read this, I was like, yes, this is what the Lord wants to do. It sounds harsh, but he wants to refine us. And it says this. It says, when hypocrites and the half-hearted can dwell in our midst without being convicted or made uncomfortable, then something is wrong. God intends for his fire to so envelop the local church that hypocrites will not be able to stay and the devout will not be able to remain unchanged. That is the label. Anyone who doesn't go to church, that's not probably the number one label of churchgoers. What? They're a bunch of hypocrites. They're a bunch of hypocrites. And I felt convicted by the Holy Spirit as I read this if I don't preach in some type of manner, if I just preach, God wants to encourage you. God wants to love on you, which is good. That's a lot of who my nature is. But if I can't bring this type of word, there's something wrong. It means hypocrites can stay here and feel comfortable. And that's not okay. It means that those who are devout can remain unchanged. And the Lord is saying, no, I'm a consuming fire. Things need to change in your life. No one likes to hear that. But the truth is, I need to be changed. There's things in my life that I need to stop doing. There's things in my life that I need to start doing. And if I'm not allowing the Holy Spirit to convict me, again, I want to remind you, there's lots of things the Holy Spirit came to do. We love to think about how his name is the comforter, the one who comes alongside and helps us. Those are all true. He empowers us and strengthens us. All so true and needed. But don't forget, it says that one of the reasons the Holy Spirit is here, his, one of his primary goals is to convict the world of sin. I'll just say it this way. When was the last time, and I'm saying within the last week, last several days, that you recognized God correcting you? And if you can't think the last several days of a time where you got corrected, that's a scary place to be. I don't ever want to be a pastor and up front and think that my life is not correctable, unchangeable. No, Lord, refine me. I'm on, you're the potter, I'm the clay. Whatever you want to do, where you want to put your finger, put your finger and reshape me. Purity cannot happen without the fear of God. I'm going to say that again because that needs to go a little deeper. 
Purity cannot happen without the fear of God. Jesus is the lover of my soul. He's my helper. He's my shepherd. He is all these things to me, and I know him well. But purity cannot happen until the fear of God hits me. Sometimes that's how I pray for other people. I'm just being real and honest with you. I see people walking in sin. And I say, God, consume them with a fear of who you really are. Because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, right? All these things. But it brings purity. You cannot be pure without the fear of God. Hmm. All right. So as the dream went on, it wasn't just purity. This consuming fire came to consume things that didn't belong and the ugly junk that was in this attic. But actually, before I went into the attic and before I saw the junk in the attic, I yelled into the house. The house is on fire, and I yelled into the house, is anybody home? Because I felt like, well, someone's got to be doing something, right? And I looked inside the house, and there was a lady inside the house, and she was completely unaware of the fire. She was cooking and she was cleaning. She was doing multiple things inside her house. She was busy and doing good things. And I kept yelling and she finally came to the door and I said, lady, your house is on fire. She's like, really? Are you sure? Like, yes, I can see it. Outside it's on fire. She was looking down at her stovetop. She was looking down cleaning things and the fire was right above her and she never knew it. She was unaware of the presence of fire in her home. That's the second thing. God's consuming fire not only comes to purify us, but it comes to make us aware of his presence. He wants to consume us with his presence. I share with you again that this church, part of our mission statement is that we pursue a relationship with God what? by embracing his promises and encountering his presence. We sing a song here sometimes. His presence is an open door. I, I quoted you from Psalm 24 a couple Sundays ago. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and let the king of glory come in. This lady had the presence of fire in her house, completely unaware, her head down. We've got to learn to recognize his presence. To lift up our heads, O ye gates. And there's a verse I want to read to you about this idea of presence. It comes from Zechariah 2.5. And it says this in Zechariah 2.5. The Lord says, I will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Yahweh, God, Jesus, is saying this to his people in a time where they are broken. Uh, another kingdom has come and is taking people captive. The walls are torn down. The Jerusalem city walls have been torn down and they're trying to figure out how to go on with life. And the word of the Lord comes to them. He says, you know what? You don't even need physical walls because God himself is a wall of fire around you. And he's the glory in your midst. See, we as a church, not only have we been labeled as hypocrites, I feel like sometimes when the world sees the church, they don't actually see a big difference. 
man, I so don't want to make this political and everything else. But there should be a very big difference with the way we treat people and the way the world treats people. The way we handle what's going on in the world, not with our heads like an ostrich stuck in the sand where we I hear no evil, see no evil, I'm just unaware of things. No. But that our response is so extremely different than the world. How is that? Because we have his mind. We have the mind of Christ on things. Where do we get the mind of Christ? In his presence. Where do we get peace when the world is all in shambles? In his presence. As we're talking about Zach having the joy of the Lord. Where do we get joy in the midst of trouble and heartache? In his presence is fullness of joy. I love that visual. It says that he is a wall of fire around us. He camps around us. I, I can't help but think of Psalm 34. It says the angel of the Lord encamps around us. That we can hide under the shadow of his wing. That he encircles us. There's so many scriptures of how he surrounds us with goodness, with his glory with his protection, with his provision. There's so many times that I am unaware of his protection. I don't know about you. Often it comes to my mind when I'm driving on the freeway because I know I'm a very good driver and I know I am, but sometimes, sometimes, why is my family laughing at me? Um, sometimes when I get off the freeway, I thank God. Thank you, God, for your protection, for your provision because it wasn't just my good driving that keeps me alive. It's a wall of fire that surrounds me. That I am in the presence of God. And even though the enemy is trying to attack, no, but this is my chosen one. Right? I feel that way. Maybe that sounds a little too extreme, but I feel that in my life. I sense the goodness of God. That Psalm 23, right? The presence of God. That he, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The Lord wants you to encounter that type of presence where the enemy can be, the enemy can encircle you just like it happened to Elisha. There were chariots all around, all around the city. And Elisha's servant was freaking out. You guys remember that story? Sunday school trivia. His servant, we're dead. They're coming here to kill us, Elisha. What are we going to do? And he's freaking out. And Elisha's like, I'm not worried in the least bit. How can you not be worried, Elisha? We are encircled by the enemy and they are destined and hell-bent to kill us. And what does he do? God, would you just open up his eyes? And he saw, oh, no, we're not just encircled by the enemy. We're encircled by chariots of fire. A wall of fire is all around me. I don't care what the enemy is doing. The enemy can encamp around me, but he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's something so sweet and enjoyable about the presence of God. It's not just that he's this fearful, awesome God and we're sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's know that in his presence is that fullness of joy. That peace doesn't come from the absence of danger. Peace comes from being in his presence. I got lots of quotes, but there's one I don't have a slide for. John Piper says this, God is never content just to give us the protection of his fire. 
he will also give us the pleasure of his presence. He doesn't want to just protect us. As a good father, that's his job, to protect his children. But he's not content on just protecting us. He wants us to enjoy his presence. Hmm. All right, so I got to move on. So the next thing in this dream, I saw a fire in the attic, saw rubbish and things that were burning up. This lady was unaware of the fire that was in her home, the presence of it. But maybe the worst part of the dream was even when I got into the house and I showed her the fire. And when I showed her the things that were burning that needed to be burned and the things that needed to be removed from her house, she was indifferent. She did not seem concerned in the least. It's like, lady, your house is on fire. She's like, oh, really? Oh, oh, that's fire. Okay. Didn't want to help me? Didn't want to do anything about it? Oh, there's trash on fire? That's strange. Indifferent. And then I just, I remember looking at her. And to me, her silence was deafening. I was like, do you want to partner with me? Do you want to help me? What do you want to do? Just silence. Stillness. Apathy. In fact, as I, it wasn't in the dream. As I woke up and I was recording the dream, I felt like the Holy Spirit reminded me that the name of the street, as I was driving down the street and I saw this house on fire, the name of the street was Apathy. She lived on Apathy Street. And her next-door neighbor, I won't go into all those details, but he was apathetic as well. People on that street, they just had apathy. And so the third point is, the Lord is a consuming fire, and he wants to bring passion. He wants to purify us as a consuming fire. He wants us to be consumed with his presence, that we take his presence everywhere we go, but he wants to bring a passion for him, that he is passionate for us. This consuming fire, what is he consumed with? Passion. When, we see, when these Old Testament prophets, when John saw him in Revelation, he was burning with passion. What does Jesus reveal to John? He says, write these letters to the seven churches. And what does he write one of the most famous churches? You've lost your first love. Could be translated, you've lost your passion. Yes you, still love, yes, you still have a fondness for me. Yes, you still like me. Yes, you still go to church. Yes, there's still things you do to try to please me, but you've lost your passion. First love. I connected, sometimes I, I feel like I get in a little bit of trouble. Not a lot of people have called me out on it, just a few people, but I can feel it and sense it when I say, I've said it for years now, that I'm God's favorite, and guess what, so are you. But when I say I'm God's favorite, it comes from a place where I've been in his presence and I sense his passion over me. He is so passionate about Ryan. And in those moments, I'm like, oh my goodness, how does he have time to even think about other people? Because he's so infatuated with me. And I'm overwhelmed and undone, not with his burning conviction, but his affection towards me. And I can't help but leave in an encounter with his passion over me. How can I be apathetic when he's so passionate for me? How can I go through life just saying, yeah, God's a part of my life. He can't be a part of my life. He's a consuming fire. I've got to seek him first. 
and then all these other things will get added unto me. See, it's not wrong. I'm thinking about it. It's not wrong that football season is starting up and that I have an affection for the 49ers. I have an interest in the 49ers. I like that. But if I'm more passionate about a football team than I am about my relationship with God, there is something clearly wrong. It's not okay. It's not that it's a sin to have interests in life. We should have different hobbies, and that's great. But are we passionate, consumed with passion? I hate to say this because it sounds like I'm condemning, but most of us, I think most of us in the church, if a pastor was to ask you, where are you at in your walk with God? On a scale of one to 10, 10 burning passion, the most passionate you've ever been with the Lord, and one, like you're on the slippery slope of backsliding. Where are you at? Most Christians, most in the room, we want to be safe. Like, oh, I'm like a five, six, maybe a seven. Like, right? Because we know that we're not burning with passion, but we're not like backsliding. Like, we love the Lord, and that's where we tend to answer. I'm saying that the Lord is saying this morning, it's not okay to be a six or seven. How do we get ourselves to be passionate on fire for the Lord? Because he says, if you're not, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Again, not fun words to hear. But he's this zealous God. As you read the Old Testament, I think I've used this word before. It's a Hebrew word, kana. It means he's zealous or filled with zeal or filled with jealousy, a holy, a good jealousy towards us. That he's passionate or full of emotion. Where do I get that word? It's, it's from Deuteronomy 4.24. For the Lord your God is a devouring fire. He is a jealous God. He's consumed with passion for you. I think about it as I read those verses about Jesus. That his eyes were like fire. Sometimes I feel like Jesus' eyes of fire are piercing my soul and he sees into my thought life. He sees in my inward man that nobody else sees and he's searing that thing. He's like, oh, I got to deal with that thing. But then there's other times I look into those same eyes that are like fire and I'm overwhelmed and undone with his love and his grace and his mercy and his affection towards me. That I have a relationship with God who's not, he doesn't love me because he has some moral standard that he's required to stand to. Well, I created them, so I have to love them. She actually enjoys loving you. He finds pleasure in it. I think about infatuation, love, Man, I love you guys. I love Osmeyberg Church. But to say that I love you the same way I love my wife, you'd be out of your mind. There's women in this room that I genuinely love. I like you. I have an interest, your best interest. But to say I'm equally passionate about you as I am my wife, you're crazy. And I feel like the Lord is saying, some of you treat me like maybe your spouse, which that's pretty high. 
You say, I'm not even your spouse. I deserve even more passion than you give towards your spouse. Man, as we wrap up the service here, I just got to figure out what the Holy Spirit is saying. I felt like this morning it would be an, an intense message. But my prayer was that the Holy Spirit would be able to speak what he needs to speak in each of our lives. So as the worship team is coming up, would you just close your eyes for a second and ask the Holy Spirit? Lord, do I need to work on all three? Is there one that, Holy Spirit, you're, you're singling me out this morning? That purity, huh, I walked in the door knowing there's something in my life that needs to change. And now you just put your finger all over it, God. And I don't want to leave here having dealt with it. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's about the presence of God. We treat it cheaply. We're unaware. And there needs to be a burning desire that we are consumed with a passion for his presence. That we become like Moses. I'm not going anywhere, God, unless your presence goes. I'm not leaving this time of devotions. I'm not leaving this place of prayer with you, this prayer closet. Not just with having done my duty to read a scripture, but to actually encounter your presence where I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind. That it's your presence that I long for more than anything else. Maybe there's something in your heart that realizes it's not okay just to like God or just to love God, but there's gotta be a passion. And it only comes through Jesus actually being a consuming fire, baptizing us into fire. I can't do it on my own. As a pastor, I can't pray and make it happen to you. It's Jesus himself who baptizes with fire. And maybe today the Lord is just saying, would you ask me? I want to baptize you. I want you to be living in consumed passion for me. I'm just going to have you, as you keep your eyes closed, we're going to sing this last song. And I would love for you to respond. If you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to you specifically today, don't waste it. Don't waste this opportunity to engage, to say yes and amen. And we're going to have some leaders up front and if you want prayer, we just want to partner with you and agree with you. Be bold. If you're the only one coming up, come up. If it's the whole church and we flood this front, then do it. But as you stay there, the worship team is going to sing this song. Leaders are going to come up front and you just respond. Respond during this song. So go ahead and sing. Leaders, go ahead and come up.